It's one of my favorite scenes of all time. Because it speaks to me of so much more than just a movie, than just a story that was actually a retelling of a true story. But as it fades to the picture of the cross and to the picture of the flag, I'm reminded of the price that was paid for us. And as we sang about it this morning, we can think of it in one way as it means war and freedom and what price has been paid by countless lives. But when I see the cross, I'm reminded of the price that was paid for us. This movie, Saving Private Ryan, depicts the actual Nyland brothers of Tonawanda, New York, having already received the news that the oldest of four brothers, Edward Nyland, was missing in action and presumed dead in Burma, the other three brothers were in different parts of Operation D-Day on June 6, 1944. Bob Nyland was killed manning a machine gun on June 6. His brother Preston was killed in action on June 7th near Utah Beach. And Fritz Nyland, who is the young man portrayed in Saving Private Ryan, was in the 501st Parachute Infantry Regiment of the 101st Airborne Division. As he survived D-Day and the remaining parts of the war late in the summer of 1944, just prior to a scheduled jump into Holland as part of the Operation Market Garden, he received orders from President Roosevelt to return to the United States. He did not want to receive those orders. He wanted to stay with his regiment and continue to fight. But given the fact that his family had almost entirely been lost as a part of the war, his brothers, he returned to Britain and eventually to the United States. This scene sets the understanding of this particular man, a man who understood the price that had been paid to send, in home, to send him home, the price of his own brothers and countless others whom he had fought alongside. I love it because on that bridge, if you couldn't understand what he said, what Tom Hanks' character said, he said, earn this. Earn this. The price that has been paid for you, earn this. And it's from this understanding of what it means to live a life. And I love how he turns to his wife in his old age and he says, tell me I'm a good man. I need to hear it. I need to hear the fact that as I've lived my life, I have done something to be worthy of the price that was paid for me. And so we come to Philippians and we come to the very same statement that Paul makes to us. Everything else that's been led up to from this point in chapter one is basically an introduction of who Paul is. But what Paul says to the church of Philippi is the same exact message that was given to, say, to, to Private Ryan on the bridge. Earn this. Live a life in such a way that you might and that I might be worthy of the gospel and worthy of the cross of Jesus Christ. I want you to look at this if you would. Philippians 1 Verses 27 through 30 says this. Paul says, above all. And what that literally means, the Greek word that is translated there means this. Only in always. 
In other words, if you pay no attention to the rest of what I'm getting ready to write, Paul says, you need to pay attention to this. And if he brings that kind of attention to this church, I think it means that we should pay attention to this as well. Only and always, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. That's the message. We are to live lives as citizens that our lives would be worthy that we are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of a new country. We are not called as we look at our political situation. And I want you to know, I was developing this message before President Obama ever gave any type of speech this week about citizenship. And I said, well, thank you very much. I understand a little bit more because we are not called to be citizens of this nation. Do you realize this nation has no soul as much as we would like to think that it does? It is not a nation that has souls. It is people who have souls. And because people have souls, it is that fight that we are called to live and to walk out in this life. It is not a life to call someone to a sense of morality. It is a call to call each of us to an understanding that we are called to live lives worthy of the gospel. That people, that individual people would be transformed from the inside out. Hearing this good news that we have, that we've received. We're to live lives worthy of that gospel. So that's what this message is entitled today. Live worthy. To live worthy of what God has called us to. The first point I want you to know is we are to live worthy as citizens. But not citizens of this nation. We have already been called to look beyond this nation. That we are called to be people of a different kingdom. Amen? We are called to be citizens of a kingdom that is called by God. I love this passage in Hebrews. It's not going to be on the screens. If you want to turn to it, I encourage you to. But it is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. Now, this passage in Hebrews... Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, whoever it may be, some think Paul, some think others. But the writer of Hebrews gives us what is called the hall of fame of faith. People who've gone before us, who've waged war, and whose lives have been worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just Jesus himself, but not only him, but also those who have planted churches in places where it's difficult. People who've gone before us, pastors and church members who've put their lives on the line that we might have this message, that we might be in this building, that we might sit and hear God's word and worship together. This is what people have been called to for centuries. And this passage documents that Hebrews 11, verse 13. Listen to this. And all these people, he's already listed Abraham and Moses, and he's going to go on to a huge list of others who have been uh, literally persecuted for their faith. Some sawn in two, he says. Some ripped apart by horses. Their upper torso attached to one horse going in another direction. Their bottom torso attached to a horse going in the other and literally ripped in two. And he says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. 
People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been looking to a country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. And instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We are to live worthy of the country that God has called us to. We are to be citizens of a heavenly nation. You understand that because we have asked Christ to be Lord and Savior of our lives, if you have made that choice today, if Jesus is your Savior and Lord, then you are no longer a citizen of this nation. You look beyond to being a citizen of heaven itself. And you start to live your life as though that is already in your possession because guess what? It is. You are called to a higher calling. You and I have a name that is above every name. And we are called to a new sense of boldness. We are called to different expectations. We are called to take actions as if I am taking actions of something that I have already achieved, even though I'm not in full possession of it. Listen to what Paul says. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. That's what we're called to. I brought something this morning. It's my passport. My passport allows me, in no whatever, whatever country I may go to, this passport allows me to remain and understand and to let everyone know that as I hold this and as I bear this on my person, that what the Secretary of State says inside of it. What he says is this, the Secretary of State of the United States of America hereby requests all whom it may concern to permit the citizen of the United States named herein to pass without delay or hindrance and in case of need to give all lawful aid and protection. When I possess this document and I go into any country, I am understood that as I hold this, I am holding a part of my nation. And I am holding it declaring that I am a citizen of the United States with certain rights that should come to me because I'm a citizen of this nation. I had a good friend that for the very first time he'd ever been out of the country, I took him to Vietnam. And when he was in Vietnam, he lost his passport. And I was very sad for him. And I let him know, Michael, when it comes time to leave, you will have to wait on your passport. But I, sir, am leaving with mine. You will be here by yourself. And we went to the State Department and they told us, look, you can do one of two things. Either you can go ahead and file and you can stay here for a couple of months until we get a new passport for you. Or... You can attempt that if someone calls for ransom, you can go ahead and pay that ransom and attempt to get out of the country or attempt to get your passport back. I didn't finish the story in the first service, and they kept coming up to me after the service saying, what happened, what happened? Well, Michael actually was called because his number where he was staying was actually in his passport, and we were able to get his passport back by paying ransom. And so Michael got to leave Vietnam, and he was very happy to do so. Unfortunately, Michael, as he took his boarding pass and was getting ready to get on the plane, dropped his boarding pass before he went through as well. I picked it up, and he was bigger than me. And I said, Michael, 
This is your first time out of the country. This should be your last time out of the country. You get on the airplane and don't get off of it until we're back in the United States. I want your wife to see you again. But anytime we hold this document, we are considered to be citizens of this nation and to have all the security that affords us because we have this document in our possession. But we are not just citizens of this nation. And this is not our only declaration piece. Ladies and gentlemen, this, when you hold this document, is a document that helps you understand who you are as a part of the body of Christ. Amen? And everything that it says about you is true. And you are a child of the King. And not only does the power that you have as a United States citizen should be important to you, but all the power that Jesus Christ Himself says that He gives to us, we possess. Amen? We are citizens of a different place. There's a song that says, This world is not my home. I am just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And as we live that out, the values of that song and the values of the declarations we have made this morning already in worship say that we are citizens of a different place. We need to live lives that are worthy. I want to be very clear. We do not hold on and keep our salvation by the works and things that we do. It is by grace that we were saved. But here is the important thing. When you saw Tom Hanks' character say, earn this, what Private Ryan understood as he was depicted in this movie is that because a price had already been paid, he had a responsibility to live a life that was worthy of the price and the life that was given. Does that make sense? And you and I, because of the price that was paid by Jesus Christ and by all those who have given their lives that we might have this message today, we are called to live lives worthy of that kind of sacrifice. This is the message of Philippians. What Paul wanted his hearers to understand is this. You and I are called to live lives worthy Not just to live our life in any old way that we choose. Not just to say, hey, I'm a Christian now and so I have my fire insurance and so I can live any way that I want to live. That's not what Paul has called us to. He says, no, you must live a life worthy of this gospel and of this sacrifice because it's already been done for you and you already possess it. So what he says in verse verse. 27 of chapter 1. Listen to what he says in chapter 3. He says in in chapter 3, verse 19, he says, they are headed for their destruction. Now, what he's talking about is anyone who does not possess a relationship with Jesus Christ. He says their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. Do you know anybody like that? They brag about things that are only of this life here on earth. And sadly, that can be some of us. We can appear to be living life by our own appetites. We all struggle with sin. We all have different things that are appetites in our life that if we just do what our body wants, we're going to follow it right into a sinful life. But what Paul says is you should not live under the control of those appetites. You should instead live under the understanding of what he says next. But we are citizens of heaven in contrast to those who live by their appetites. Where our Lord Jesus Christ lives. 
And we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies. Amen? Like His own. Using the same power with which He will bring everything under His control. What Paul says here is, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to live our lives that way. We need to understand that what Christ has called us to is a life worthy of the sacrifice that He's given. I want to just bring some other passages to your mind why this is so important for us to understand today. Matthew 10, 38, Jesus spoke of this same thing as He said, Whoever does not take up His cross and follow Me is not what? Worthy of Me. Say that with me. You are not worthy of Me. If we do not take up our cross, if we do not fight this battle of sin, we still struggle with it. But if we do not take up our cross, that instrument of death, and crawl up upon it ourselves and crucify our sin natures on a daily basis, then we are going to live by our own appetites. And Jesus said, that's not a life that is worthy of me. Ephesians chapter one or chapter four, verse one, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called in Colossians to the church at Colossae. He says in chapter one, verses nine and ten. And so from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is a passage that I often pray. And when I pray it, your faces come to mind. And again, as, as I've told you before, we always bring the lights up when I am preaching because I have to see faces. Because when I see your face and I'm preaching to you now and saying these things to you now, when I pray for you, your same faces come to my heart and to my mind. And I think this, we've not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. What that basically means is, when I pray for you, I'm praying that you would walk in a manner worthy when you walk into your jobs, when you walk into your schools, when you are parenting, when you are being a spouse, when you are being a neighbor, when you are, a be, when you are being a good worker in your job, when you are doing those things, that you may walk in a manner worthy of the price that's already been paid and of the name that you already possess. 1 Thessalonians 2 says this, verse 11 and 12, For if you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. Paul's message is basically this. He's fearful that he may not ever see this group of people again. We know that he's in chains in Rome. We know actually what Paul didn't know when he wrote this. What Paul didn't know was that he would not see these people again. That he would die a martyr's death. That he would not be in their presence again. But at this time when he wrote it, he did not know that. Because what had he said? For me to live is Christ but for me to die is gain. If I live and go on teaching and preaching and get to see you again, it's great for your sakes. But for me, if I die, it's a gain for me. So Paul's message, just like Tom Hanks' character, his message to us is 
Walk in a manner worthy of the good news. That's it. That's the message. Walk your lives out in a manner that's worthy of Jesus Christ. But what's great about Paul is he then tells us how we're supposed to do that and what it will look like when we do. And that's the second point this morning. The first point is really all we need, but these other points help us understand how we're supposed to do that. How do we live a life worthy of the gospel? Well, he tells us we promote unity in the body of Christ. We promote unity in this body. Listen to Philippians 1.27. He says, Then, whether I come and see you again, which he will not, or only hear about you, which he will, I will know that you are standing together with what? One spirit and one purpose. We need to promote unity within this body. I... I talked with a blessed leader of our congregation this past week, and I reiterated something that I have heard before and that I may have told you before, but it's something that I always give, to, especially to our life group leaders, because as they walk in leadership opportunities, I tell them this. You always carry with you two buckets. Every one of you carry with you two buckets. One is a bucket of water, and the other is a bucket of gasoline. And you walk among this congregation and you walk inside this community and you walk among other people and you see sparks that flare up, don't you? Sparks of sometimes that can be of, of fervor because someone is a brand new Christian and they need to, to be thrown the gas on their spark. And they need to burn, as Paul says to Timothy, that you are a flame and I fan the flame of your life that you might burn for Jesus Christ. And other things of dissension sometimes come up. And we need to make a choice to throw the water in those situations. But we all walk around with two buckets. And we make choices when we come upon these times of whether we're going to promote unity in the body of Christ or not. We have come through an incredible season at EVC. A season where we are just astounded and amazed as we came through our capital campaign, well far beyond what we had even thought or dreamed about as we did that. As we've had months after, a month after that, as you've begun to give to that, we've seen God just continually bless us. Our giving has continued to gone up. And this month, as we did Operation Christmas Child, to be perfectly honest with you, I told Tara, Tara, I'm sorry, we've just come out of our capital campaign. We've had the delay when we normally would have promoted Operation Christmas Child much earlier. We're probably not going to have as many boxes this year. To the glory of God, you guys have given over a 100 more boxes than we have ever given in the past. It's over 420 boxes now that EVC, you guys just continue to amaze with your generosity. Because, see, we're in this season where God is just seeming to continually bless us. And here's what we know. When we go into a season like that, there are going to pop up opportunities for us to be in disunity with one another. Because the enemy doesn't like when things are going great. And so it is our responsibility to promote the unity of the body of Christ. Why? Because that's the way... That we live worthy lives of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that in this passage. You are to walk and stand as one. And then he gives us a brilliant, a brilliant and beautiful picture of what this looks like in chapter 2. 
I want to read verse 1. It's not going to be on the screen. But I I felt like verse 2 was not really good without verse 1. So listen to verse 1 and then verse 2 will be on the screen. It says of chapter 2. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? These are all questions that Paul raises. And then he says, Then if so, make me truly happy. In other words, this whole book has been about joy in difficult circumstances. And Paul says, make my joy absolutely complete. Make me the proudest daddy of a church that could ever be in the world today by doing what? And he gives us very specific instructions. By agreeing wholeheartedly with one another. By loving one another. By working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest. But take an interest in others too. How do we maintain unity? There are certain things that we must do. Paul spells them out. First of all, he says, agree wholeheartedly. Now, I want you to look at your spouse if they're in here or look at the person next to next to you and say to them, I agree wholeheartedly with you. Can you do that with a straight face? You're a bunch of liars in here this morning. I know that because with Jennifer and Kara and Allison, we get the four of us together and we can't agree on a restaurant to go eat at after church. You understand? If you're a parent of a teenager, or, or let's not say teenager, let's say uh, elementary school age, uh, young daughter especially, can you agree with what they're going to wear to church on this Sunday morning? I laugh. I was <laughs> laughing this morning because of uh, Don and Donna Carpinko. They were talking about getting here just a little bit late today because she had to dress her two uh, granddaughters this morning. And I laughed, and she goes, oh, you probably don't know anything about that. I said, well, really, honestly, I don't. I said, all our married life, I have left way before anybody in my family's ever up. And I don't know anything about what it's like to dress two girls before they go to church. I said, you know, James Taylor's song that says, easy like Sunday morning. Jennifer hates that song because she said, there ain't nothing easy about Sunday morning. You know what I'm saying? So we can't even agree on what to wear. How in the world is Paul really saying this, that we're going to agree wholeheartedly? Folks, we're not going to, in the natural way, agree wholeheartedly on much of anything. So what Paul is saying is, we're going to have to die, both of us, all of us, to what we really want. You may not like the color of this building. You may not like Lake EVC, even though it's full today, all right? You may not like some things, and it's hard, and it's difficult, but we all have to die to what we want because it's difficult to agree wholeheartedly. What that means is this. We have to put our own interests down and say, whether we like it or not, we have to see the main thing as the main thing. And the main thing is not the color of anything. The main thing is the gospel and our lives being worthy of what Jesus has done. That's the main thing. Nothing else really matters, does it? What really matters is what Jesus has done already. Then he says, because you probably are going to struggle, and he's saying these things, you understand he's saying these things because there were probably issues going on in the church of Philippi. And Paul knew it, and so he was addressing it. 
He says, because you're probably not going to agree wholeheartedly, you're going to have trouble with number one, then you need to make sure you have number two, loving one another. We need to love one another because the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. In other words, it's sometimes hard to live with one another. Amen? Some of you struggle with my personality type. Okay, I know that. And I, those of you that are smiling, Kevin Harkins was in the first service, and when, I think he said amen under his breath, all right? But, but just because we're together doesn't mean that we are just always going to get along. It's not going to be easy. It's not. But we love one another, and love covers a multitude of struggles that we have with one another. We may not always agree, so we need love to cushion that and to not just cushion it, to overflow it. He then says, work together in the same direction. How many of you grew up going to skating parties? Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Some of you are, okay. The rest of you are too young and there's no more skating rinks hardly around. Do you remember the, this is an all skate in the same direction. Okay. You remember that one? That meant instead of going any way you wanted to, it's going to be, we're all going to skate in the same direction. That's what this is about. He says, you're going to work together in the same direction. You ever planted flowers with a young child where you dig the hole and by the time you turn to get the flower, the child has covered up the hole that you just did? Sometimes in the church, we do the same things. We're trying to do certain things and other people seem to be coming behind us and correcting what we did. And we're like, "Ah, what what are you doing? Because God has called us. The, the way that we live this out, that we live worthy of the gospel, is that we work together in the same direction, accomplishing glory for Jesus Christ, not accomplishments heaped upon one another or on ourselves. He says, live for one purpose. That purpose is to glorify God. Our one purpose as a church is to glorify God. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what God put us here to do. If we're not doing things that are bringing glory to God, then we're not doing what he's called us to do the bible is very clear in first john chapter five he talks about that there are certain people that have so lived their life after possessing jesus christ that they've lived their life in such a way that they're no longer bringing glory to god so god takes them home really yes that when we cease to live for the glory of God, that's a real possibility. Now, it's not for me to sit in judgment of those that have gone before me to go, well, he took that one because of this or because of that. That's not, me to, that's not for me to judge, but the Bible is clear that it can happen. And we need to live out this purpose to bring glory to God. I can already see y'all are coming to my funeral and go, ha, ha. yeah, I guess... I guess your word you preached came home to roost, I guess. All right. Live one purpose. Then he says, be humble. Thinking of others better than yourself. Take interest in others. Then he says some things that we are to avoid. He says, don't be selfish. Remember what Bart has shared with us. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Joy. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. You know what the beauty of that statement is? It's Jesus first, others second, and however many others are in your life, you're still last. It doesn't matter. This is not a, dads, a love your wife and love your children and then love yourself and everybody else that you know is behind you. No. As many people as you know, Jesus first, others second, all others, and yourself last. 
as God has called us to be pastors here at EVC, what that means is we are chief servants. That means that we put all of you before our own desires and ourself last. That's what God has called us to do. Don't be selfish. He also says, don't try to impress others. Don't be the people pleaser. And don't look out for your own interest. Don't be a me pleaser. Don't be a people pleaser and don't be a me pleaser, but live for the glory of God. These are the ways that we promote unity in the body of Christ. Now, here's what I want to make sure that we understand. Many pastors will preach this and talk about it just inside of a congregation. This is much larger than that. We need to be in unity with the whole evangelical body of Christ working together. Now, that does not mean that people who don't hold to truth, that we are in unity with them. But if someone calls Jesus Christ Lord and he is the only way of salvation, we need to walk in unity. I'm so proud of EVC and Bart as he was one of the first original folks who came together with Community Link to promote the body of Christ working together. I'm so proud of Kyle Neiman as he led led us out in this as he works with other youth pastors at churches all around our city to do things together, one of which is our discipleship weekend that will be coming up in a couple of months, that they work together and they meet on a weekly basis to pray for one another. And as we continually move forward, we need to lift up other congregations. Here's a thought. No matter how big we build that other building, we're not building it big enough for everyone in Saginaw to worship together. We need to support other churches who are doing great work that we are not in competition with. We are walking beside them. Amen? This is what we're called to do to build unity in the body of Christ, not just in the local expression, but in the greater kingdom of God. And then the third thing today, what he says is we need to engage the enemy together. We know that we're walking and we are living lives worthy of the gospel when we engage the enemy together. Have you ever noticed that when you're engaging a common enemy, you're not fighting with each other? Have you ever noticed that? Listen to what it says. Philippians 1, 27, uh, the second half of that, he says, fighting together for the faith. And I'm so thankful for commas, okay? Because he could have said fighting together and we'd be going, what? I thought you just said we're supposed to be unified. No, fighting together for the faith alongside one another, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated by any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed and that you are going to be saved even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. That unity again. You have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I am still in the midst of it. We need to engage the enemy together. And when we fight a common enemy, we know that we're working together. Many of you had brothers and sisters growing up and you probably had petty fights that went on. And I had that same thing. My brother, Dennis, is six years older than me. And we would always fight about the goofiest thing. We had twin beds and as we had these twin beds. They, they would be here, and I slept in this bed, and we had a black and white TV that was in this little alcove area over here. And my brother, as mean as he was, would say this. When it was my past my bedtime, he would make me turn and face the wall and not watch the TV because it was my bedtime and not his. 
And I did it, okay? Because he was a lot bigger than me. And we would fight and do all these things and had these petty things. But I will never forget the day that I was in second grade and he was in eighth grade and I was on the school bus. And there was this guy who was a seventh or eighth grader, maybe a ninth grader, I really don't remember. But his name was Tommy Fink. Now, Tommy Fink, doesn't that sound like a bully? His whole family was a family of Finks. Did you guys know that? Tommy Fink, I know I, I must have I must have spouted off something. I know you're shocked that I would do that. Yeah. But Tommy took my arm and he bent it behind the seat. And it was hurting. And as he had it there, he thought he had me. And my brother got up and said, let him go and don't ever touch him again. All my petty differences that I had with my older brother went away. And he became my hero that day. And he's still my hero today. We have a great relationship. I'm much better looking than he is. There's a long story that goes with that, but I won't share that one today. But, but we're great friends. When we have a common enemy, we understand that we are living a life worthy. Now, I want to say something here. Many of us are mistaken as to who this enemy is. We sometimes want to make this enemy an opposing political party. I know I do. We sometimes want to make this enemy individuals in our culture who are our enemies. That is not our enemy. The enemy is Satan himself. When we think about our morality in our culture, and we sometimes want to fight against that, sometimes prayer in schools or certain morality issues, we want to make those things the enemy issues. But you see, they're not even the main thing. The main thing is that people would be transformed. Why? Because in our own churches at times, we will have power struggles and individual, individuals who lift themselves up and pastors who lift themselves up as all-time authorities. And in our churches, we have power struggles. Why do we think in our political realms of people who aren't Christians that we're not going to have power struggles? Why do we think we live in a country that is going to be be, always have Christian values. These are people who aren't believers. They're just doing what their nature tells them to do. They're not our enemies. Satan himself is our enemy. We need to make sure that we understand the main thing is the main thing. Should we fight for cultural and moral values? Absolutely. But the issue is this. The most transforming thing is not our current political pet project. The most amazing and transforming thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ because it transforms from the inside out, not from the outside in. Rome attempted to do this in 313 AD. His name was Constantine. He became a Christian and with the edict of Milan said, everyone will from now on be Christians. How'd that work out for Rome? Not very well. The Roman Catholic Church was elevated and it became corrupt. So the church was corrupt. And so Satan got his hand in and the enemy won because we thought we could legislate morality. We must give the main thing, the main thing, the gospel to individuals and the transforming spirit of God works from the inside out. We have a common enemy and it's not people. The enemy 
is Satan himself. And we need to fight against that. Then he says, don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. What an awesome statement. The word picture here in Greek is literally, it's a herd of frightened horses. So you have this herd of frightened horses that a little bitty snake can go across their path and they go berserk. And that's us, the church, the body of Christ. He says, don't let anybody intimidate. This huge horse is intimidated by this little bitty snake. Really? This huge body of Christ that we are intimidated by those who would work against us? Why? We don't have to be intimidated. Our future's set. We are children of the one true king. We have all power. We have everything that this book says about us that is true of us. We walk in it. We live it out. We don't have to be afraid or intimidated by anybody. Because we've read the end of the book and we know how it ends. And therefore, all we have to do is live like we know that it's true because it is. He says this will be a sign to them. That they are going to be destroyed. In other words, your boldness is going to be a sign to anyone who is an enemy of the faith that they are going to be destroyed and that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. The picture is literally of a Roman gladiator. Paul knew that the church at Philippi would be greatly understood. It was a Roman city. They were citizens of Rome. They would understand what a gladiator would do. And when two gladiators would fight, when one would get the upper hand, he would put his foot on his chest and raise his sword and would look to the box where the emperor would sit and would wait for the sign, either up or down. If it was up, then the person who was defeated would live. If it was down, then the gladiator would take the life. And what Paul is saying is, when you are bold and when you stand boldly in the world today against the enemy, it is a sign, a sign that says, you will do not need to be intimidated and it's their destruction if they don't turn to Christ. It is a sign in two ways of your strength and your solidarity in understanding that you have a relationship with Christ and it's to their own destruction. We need to live in such a way that our lives are worthy of this gospel that we sang about today. That we surrender all to Him, not we surrender some. We give it all that He might be glorified in our lives by promoting unity together and by standing against the common enemy. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you for this word. I thank you for Paul. And as he shared this word with the church at Philippi, he lives it out for us. He says to us, live worthy. Live worthy. Father, for that person today, Lord, I lift up that doesn't have a relationship with you. And Father, as we spoke about that today, Lord, I pray that they would experience you in all your fullness today and that, Holy Spirit, you would speak directly to their heart and say, today is the day. Don't delay anymore. Be called to Jesus. Come to me. Lay down your burdens. Allow me to live my life in you. Lord, I pray that they would hear that said over them today and that they would choose you. 
Father, for others that have things going on in their life that, that, Father, there's a relationship that's broken that needs to be mended in the body of Christ. God, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would allow them to agree even though it's difficult. To agree that the main thing is Your Gospel and it will go forward. God, I pray that You would allow all of us to lay down our own selfish wills, but to live to You. Because You are glorified in us, the church, when we do that. For it's in Jesus' name I pray today. Amen. I hope that whatever God says to you, you'll do. And that we are here to help you live this out. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward this morning. So glad. Bart's on vacation today, but it means I'm doing announcements too. So no no change in things. You just get me. That's all it is. All right. So if you would look in your bulletin as well this morning. We have a great ministry that's starting up that has already started up in our special needs ministry called Unhindered. But on December the 13th, we're doing something brand new in that we are providing a time for spe- for parents who have special needs children. We're going to take care of the children and their siblings for three hours on Saturday, December the 13th, and allow their parents to have time together, a respite time. And so this is called Unhindered. And so there is an opportunity in the back for you to sign up. If you would like to just help us with special needs kids on that night or their siblings, we're going to be taking care of them. And so again, you can sign up on the back table for that. Also, December the 8th is our service of remembrance. You can sign up if uh, there's a person that you would like to be remembered on that day. You can go to our website. This will also be available in our bulletins next week or so over the next two weeks. So we encourage you to give us those lists of names and then be present on December the 8th at 7 o'clock for our service of remembrance. Inside your bulletin also, it encourages you. We are uh, providing some Christmas cards, or we're asking you to write some Christmas cards to our two missionary families that are serving. One in Malawi, the Seavers, and the Vandivers in Montreal. Their names and all their kids' names are in your bulletin today. So if you would write a Christmas card to them, just bring it to the church. We're going to mail them all together in a big package of love to those families that have given so much. I also want to remind you that there are no Wednesday activities this Wednesday. So stay home with your families because that's what we're doing. So if you show up here, the lights will be out and the building is locked. So go home. And worship together. Living this out and living worthy of the gospel today. Would you stand with me? Let me pray as we are blessed out today. Father, we thank you for this day. And I pray that as we go today, that we would live these lives that are worthy of this gospel, this great news that you died for us, Jesus, and that we are called to live lives worthy of you. Go with us as we do that this day. In Jesus' name, amen.